12. Class actions and the final takeover and privatization of Ocus. On the 19th of February 2019, Ocus produced its half year results and reiterated its 2019 guidance. Kevin Russell stated that the core opportunity was in the Australian infrastructure business, Focus Networks. Focus Retail, which was M2, now became a turnaround opportunity. As the Motley Fool wrote in February 2019, ever since the original Focus Dark Fiber Business to Business, Fiber Optic Internet, and iCloud Services, which are data centers, business merged with M2's NBN facing home internet business, it has been downhill faster than an Austrian skier, thanks to its debt load and the overvaluation of the M2 assets as part of the merger. I expect the chances of a deal to sell its Dodo and iPrimus business for a decent multiple are low, but it would be good news for long-suffering focus investors, as it would allow the telco to pay down debt and retain its high-quality assets. On the 29th of April, in an ASX media release, Focus acknowledged that a class action was proceeding. The class action was being mooted during my time on the board. The statement of claim includes allegations of contraventions of the Corporate Act in relation to misleading or deceptive conduct and continuous disclosure obligations in respect of Focus's FY17 earnings guidance. Even after acknowledging that the class action was proceeding, and within a space of three weeks, Focus received two more takeover proposals, with each being withdrawn shortly thereafter. The first was on 27 May from EQT Infrastructure at a price of $5.25 per share, which was withdrawn on the 4th of June. The second came on 11th of June from AGL Energy at $4.85 per share and was terminated on 17 June, barely a week later. My personal opinion and bear in mind that all one's own opinions are personal, is they could not get their heads around the M2 business. On the 23rd of December 2019, the Sydney Morning Herald stated, Focus has agreed to a $35 million settlement to soothe shareholders who were burned after shock earnings downgrade in 2017, which shaved hundreds of millions of dollars off the telecommunications company's market cap. The hefty figure comes after a long-running fight between the Dodo and iPromise owner and disgruntled investors that culminated in a class action in April after two years of turbulent financial results and a major reshuffle of the company's executive ranks. Vocals will now pay $3.5 million of the total settlement, with the rest covered by the company's insurance. The settlement does not include an admission of liability and requires federal court approval. A statement posted by the telco to the ASX on Monday said the agreement was a commercial decision made in the best interest of the company and its shareholders. The issue for shareholders kicked off in November 2016 when Vocus told the market expected revenues would be $1.9 billion for 2017, with earnings from $430 million to $450 million. Vocus had reiterated this guidance during its first half results in February 2017. However, Vocus downgraded expectations in May 2017 to $1.8 billion in revenue and earnings from $365 million to $375 million. This was the second downgrade in seven months for the telco and saw $600 million wiped from its market cap. Slater and Gordon lawyers revealed in June 
that the class actions applicants alleged the company misled the market when providing guidance for the expected financial performance in the 2017 financial year. The class action claimed the company misled shareholders about the potential net profit after tax earnings and synergies available without reasonable grounds. The group argued Bocast had breached its continuous disclosure requirements, including that the guidance would not be achieved, and said shareholders had suffered a loss as a result. The turbulent performance was followed by a management shakeup, with former chief executive Jeb Horth stepping down in February 2018 after a major restructure of the company's divisions. The business had a roller coaster year in 2019 after two takeover bids from energy company AGL and private equity firm EQT were ditched during due diligence. Bocas Chief Executive Ken Russell said in August, the business was trying to build credibility with shareholders and to make sure the market was fully informed. When I look back at the settlement and accepting the settlement was more for expediency than admission of guilt, I can't help but analyse the claim. He stated the company had misled the shareholders about its potential earnings without reasonable grounds. There are two dates mentioned, November 2016 and when the first half results were published in February 2017. At November 2016, David Spence was chair. The other directors were Vaughan Bowen, Rhoda Filippo, Mick Simmons and Craig Farrow and me, with Jeff Horth as CEO. Changes to this at February Bob Mansfield, who is now a director, and Mick Simmons was now an executive director. Mick Simmons, who I rate highly, helped prepare the guidance. At the time of the offer, I could not understand why a non-executive was offering to help with this. The only people who could know the results were misleading to the market were M2, and certainly not the Bocas directors, who still lived in hope, albeit this was going to be very short-lived. On the 28th of October 20, in the chairman's address, Bob stated since he became chairman, he consistently stated that Bocas would require three years to turn. Focus retail, the old M2 business earnings amounted to a paltry $80 million, a far cry from the earnings of $210 million M2 claimed to have had on the merger with Focus. The turnaround started late. Earlier, Bob wanted to leave Jeff in place and perhaps would have had it not been for John Ho. That change should have begun long before Bob was appointed chair, something he should have helped achieve when he was appointed a director. Until John was appointed to the board, the M2 director's mantra was to defend the M2 business at all costs. And the best way to do that was to attack the Bocas business. Defending the M2 business to stakeholders included moving expenses such as CBC charges, part of its cost of sales to group charges. But how does one then fix the core problem in M2 business when they are denied at every opportunity with certain directors leading that charge? And that is why there needed to be radical change. On 19 November, Vocus announced plans to IPO Vocus New Zealand. On 8 February 21, Vocus announced another indicative and non-binding offer from Macquarie Infrastructure at $5.50 per share, which valued Vocus at $3.5 billion and an enterprise value of $4.6 billion. Enterprise value includes the debt of Invocus of $1.1 billion. To go back and summarise, on 6 June 2016, Vocus reached a high of $9.35 shortly before the acquisition of NextGen. 
comparing it to the value above, roughly the amount they'd lost buying M2. Of course, there are lots of other items to be taken into account, but at the end of the day, this will approximate the end result. On the 22nd of July, 21, the Australian Financial Review reported, Bocus goes down as a giant in the world of take privates. For all the bluster about private equity and private capital hunting down ASX-listed targets, there's not been a lot of completed deals at the big end of town. In fact, when Macquarie's Mirror and Aware Super took the keys to Vocus Group this week, they completed one of the biggest ever take privates by a financial sponsor ever in Australia. At 4.69 billion, Vocus was the third biggest take private. To me, that was the end of my era as far as Vocus was concerned. My holding in Vocus, which for me was quite large, was now realized in cash. What began as the most remarkable journey with James Spensley and watching him put together a wonderful business to watch the value almost dissipate with the M2 merger. I've learned a lot about non-executive directors who act as executives and are not remotely independent. Trying to do my best as one of the very few independent directors, I've learned what goes wrong and why merge of equals went so wrong. There's really no such thing. One party somehow always becomes dominant. I've learned how very creative accounting pre-merger can bite one badly. There are board members who will do their utmost to prevent you doing your job as a director. Right is not might, and too many directors take the line of least resistance, arriving at a board meeting, telling management what a great job they're doing, having tea and going home. This would be the ideal situation, but a company is a fluid, living and breathing entity. Problems do arise and need to be solved. The only change that can come from institutions. Institutions are only told what they want to hear and sometimes, for some unknown reasons, throw their support behind certain directors even when everything screams the opposite and we need to fix this. Boards need directors of integrity. Directors are not afraid to challenge management when things are going wrong and are trying to do the right thing for all stakeholders, be they staff, customers or investors. In my opinion, there is no place for directors who are only out for themselves, or select group of staff or other directors. Or maybe there is. Maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe there is a place. Maybe I have this all wrong. Bob has managed to get award after award despite the Sydney Morning Herald saying he was forced to quit Telstra, being a director on the failed Allco Group, being chair of the failed Careers Australia Group, and according to an article published in 2004, saying Bob received these marching orders from Fairfax just five months into the job. But Bob has balanced all of that with a number of specialist roles for the federal government, some not-for-profit work, including Chair of Board of Governors Steve Waugh Foundation, the George Gregan Foundation, and the UNSW Medical Advisory Council. What is interesting is that Telstra, Fairfax and Vocus all seem to have the same things in common, different parties with different agendas. If not for John Ho, who knows where Vocus would be today? So what went wrong in the M2 merger? This is something I've analysed many times over. Should Vocus have done better due diligence and not relied on published accounts? In October 15, Jeff Hoth presented M2 earnings of 180 million. Taking into account the full year earnings of Core Plus, the 180 million without much stretch could be 210 million. Barely 18 months later, the combined group downgraded its earnings. How did such strong earnings and expected cash flow dissipate in such a short period? 
According to the settled class action, the company misled the market when providing guidance in November 2016, barely a year after Jack's 2015 presentation. An internal audit report, which is not allowed to be externally examined, went some way to explain this. And then there was the board. There is no point in reiterating any of this. Over the last couple of years, there have been some very interesting changes in corporate Australia. Environmental, social and corporate governance is an approach to investing that recommends taking environmental issues, social issues and governance issues into account when deciding which companies to invest in. ESG is the acronym. Companies are adopting the disclosure of their practices in ever-increasing numbers, and this will become mandatory. Institutions are also becoming aware of their ESG responsibilities, as they have investors who want to know that these institutions are fulfilling their ESG responsibilities, and the companies these institutions are investing in are in turn fulfilling their ESG responsibilities. Putting out an ESG statement with incorrect information is called greenwashing. And although that relates to the environment, it can relate to any statement in the ESG document. The environment today is less tolerant of bad behaviour in boardrooms, and even less with institutions. That is not to say it doesn't happen. But we all know the public anger that goes on when bad behaviours are made public. Still have many interesting interviews to come. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Be safe. All the best, John Brett.